Hope Church. All right, we're going to continue this morning in our study through the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 20, this morning. And we have scenes here, uh, particularly with Jonathan um, and David. And you, of course, remember, we've looked at Jonathan a good bit here in 1 Samuel. We also saw him a few months ago in our Forgotten Heroes uh, study. And so um, we want to continue to, to look at this and be reminded this morning of um, Jonathan's uh, heroic um, actions and his sacrifice. Um, we are thankful uh, in our world when we have true heroes. We're thankful for that. And we, um, we also want to live heroic lives. Um, whether we're put in, in completely extreme circumstances or not, we still want to live our lives in such a way that we have the character of those who we all agree are heroes. We want to live a heroic life. And so may God encourage us in that way uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we are nothing. Jesus, we agree with you that you are the vine and we are the branches and that apart from you, we can do nothing. I mean, we can do nothing good of eternal um, significance outside of you and and the gifts and the life that you've given us. And so please um, fill us with, with courage and with love and with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you are our ultimate hero and that you paid the ultimate price, a greater price than any has ever paid for us. And we thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's read um, from 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning verse 1. And we'll roll through some of this this morning. It says, And David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father, that he is seeking my life? And Jonathan said to him, far from, far from it, you shall not die. But behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. So why, so why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king, but let me go that I might hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it is good, your servant will be safe. Uh, but if he says he is very, but if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if her father answers you harshly? And Jonathan said to David, Come and let us go out into the field. So both of them went out to the field. Um, and we'll pick up there in just a, just a minute. But just want to set this as a reminder from, from last week. It's, it, you know, from Jonathan's perspective, he had brokered peace. He had brokered peace between you know, his father um, and David. And David was back in you know, to uh, the family uh, you know, in, at the table. And, and everything was, was good. You know, he's, he's probably convinced himself... You know, my, my father has, you know, has had his moments, but really he doesn't mean, you know, David 
you know, harm. He, under, he understands the good David has done, you know, for the nation. And, you know, he, he thinks he's, he's accomplished what he set out to do. He, he wants to think the best of his father. It's, it's hard to fault him, you know, for that. But it's not the reality. And David has that perception. Perhaps he has a, you know, perhaps he's been warned by another, uh, another person. But he says, you know, you, your father knows well that I found favor in your sight. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this or he will be grieved. Or perhaps, you know, he'll try to stop it, <laughs> right? So that's um, David's perceptive, uh, very perceptive of this, of this situation. He has good, good in- instincts uh, with this. So then in verse 12, we'll pick back up in verse 12, it says, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not send to you and make it known to you? If it pleases my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. If, you do, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive... Will you not show me the kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. So here we have this covenant between the house of, of David and the house of, of Jonathan, um, that they have promised to do you know, good to each other, um, that they have set the Lord as witness. Now, the reality is, and what we always need to remember, you know, the Lord is always witness. <laughs> you know, the Lord sees everything. He knows all of our dealings, good and bad. He knows all the dealings of our, of our heart. He knows how we treat others. You know, we have this incredibly high standard that God has given us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And certainly, Jonathan is seeking to love David as he loves himself, and David is seeking to love Jonathan as he loves himself. But then Jesus takes it even a step further for us when he tells us, he's like, love our enemies. Now, that doesn't mean let your enemy do evil, or let your enemy get away with evil. But it has to do with the attitude of our, of our heart and what our ultimate goals um, and perspectives, you know, perspective on life is. But he knows, you know, Jonathan um, is, is, is thinking like this could play out in a number of different ways. And so if it plays out poorly, he wants David's assurance that, that David will treat his family well. Yeah, at this point, Jonathan has a family. You know, he's starting to think about his son and his, you know, future. Um, so, you know, that's, that's important to the story because, you know, how these things go when there's, you know, if there ends up being war between Saul and between David, Jonathan wants to have assurance that David is going to treat his descendants well even if Jonathan himself doesn't survive the whole, the whole thing. We see, you know, it's a, life is sometimes complicated. There are verses in the scripture in, this, in 1 Samuel where, you know, you kind of have a sense here that Jonathan understands he may be a casualty of this whole thing. And then there's other places where he has in his mind that David is going to be the king and that he's going to be at his right hand. He's going to be the, the second in command. Which again, we've talked about how amazing and astonishing that is as the rightful heir in terms of being you know, the, the firstborn of Saul and having that place in society, the expectation that Jonathan would be the next king and he has willfully given that to David instead of making David a rival. But he still, at points in his life, views himself at, when this all plays out in the end, when my father's time is done, David is going to be the king, and I'm going to be second to him. So that's 
all part of this. He doesn't know which way it's going to play out. The reality is we don't know how our lives are going to play out. We may say, you know, if I live until I'm, you know, 90 or 80 or whatever it is, these are my goals. But if I only make it to 30, I hope to have accomplished these things. If I only make it till I'm 40 or I only make it till I'm 50, I hope I've accomplished these things. You know, you think about life in different time frames because no one is guaranteed tomorrow. So we have to make our days count. And so then this is how they play this out in verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is a new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day and you shall remain by the stone Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I say specifically, if I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them. Then come, for there is safety for you, and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, Behold, the arrows are beyond you. Go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as usual, in the seat by the, the, seat by the wall then. Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, is it, it is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. It came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan then answered, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, for he said, Please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend and now if I found favor in your sight please let me get away that I may see my brothers for this reason he has not come to the king's table now let's talk about a couple things here before we move on first just real briefly and quickly um, in our culture you know what do you mean he's like unclean that he's not able to come you know, to the table. Well, in the Mosaic law, for um, certain things related to going to the um, tabernacle um, for for worship, there were certain things that make you unclean. Apparently, there was some carryover culturally that if you were unclean, you know, for that purpose, then you could be unclean for, you know, a, a formal meal with the king or something like that. It's not, um, it seems like there's some cultural carryover um, as far as that goes, but there are a lot of different things that could make you unclean. Um, you know, you, you touched an, an animal that was um, dead, that especially was an unclean, you know, type of, of animal, or touched a human body, um, you know, that someone had died and you had to help move them or whatever it was. Then you would need to go through this like ceremonial washing process. And there's there's other reasons you could be unclean as well. You can read all about those in the Mosaic Law um, if you so desire. But there's another issue that comes up because as you see here, Jonathan lies to his father. And so I can understand what somebody say, well, wait a second. You know, what about his character there as he lies to his father? Maybe he shouldn't have lied to his father. Um, perhaps there's an, you know, there could have been another way to have found out the, the truth of the situation. We don't want to be in a situation where we acquiesce easily and say lying is okay. Because what happens when you do that is people will make excuses and reasons to lie when it's not valid. Okay, when there's not very much at stake. So we tread lightly when we say, okay, sometimes it's time it's okay to lie. You know, because I mean? what do we tell our kids? Don't lie, tell the truth. You know, right? So you you don't want to just you know flippantly say, well, sometimes it's okay to lie. Well, what we do say though that we have a moral um, hierarchy. There is a moral hierarchy in life, and and in some cases, people have to um, 
do something that, that at least has the appearance of wrong in order to keep a greater wrong from happening. Classic example, the easy example that we all understand is, you know, German citizens hiding Jewish people in their homes are in place, you know, hiding places, um, you know, fr hiding them from the Nazis. That you know, the, if the Nazis find them, they're going to to brutalize them and, and murder them. Do you have any Nazis in your home? No. Okay. You sorry? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Do you have any Jewish people in your home? No. Both of those are no. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what wrong? No, I'm just kidding. But stand right there at the door. Yeah, you sure. Come on in. But now, now I do like, I do appreciate like Corey Tinboom. Her approach was, why yes, so many, come and find them. You know, look, look for yourself. You know, and her her hiding place, their hiding place was was very strategic and, and very well done. So she used sarcasm, um, and she's saying the words that are true, <laughs> but, you know, in a sarcastic way, and, you know, ac accomplishing her, her task, but let's not make any mistakes about that. Her, the intent of her heart is deceit. That's what a lie is, right? No matter how it plays out, the intent of a lie, no matter what you, words are chosen to say them to technically be truthful or untruthful, the point of a lie is to deceive someone. That's the point of it. So what we are what we are saying, very, very clearly, is that to save someone's life, it is okay to deceive another. And go, well, I don't know, I mean, a sin's a, a, sin's a sin. Mm, you've got to be careful there, too. All sin separates us from God. Not all sin is, has the same consequences. God has his list of what he views as more egregious. Some of those lists, you know, he gives in the, in the scripture. Every sin separates from God, but not every sin has the same Consequence, both before God and before, you know, and on this earth. There's a reason we believe it's just that there are different punishments for different crimes. We don't, you know, in the courtroom, we don't say, you know, a, a crime's a crime. You know, you you you, you know, you stole some candy from the store, uh, you murdered your neighbor. Well, crime's a crime. You're both getting the same thing, whether it's small or big. Now, we don't do that because that's not logical. Yet, when it comes to sin, there's this weak theology that just says, well, all sin is, is sin. Mm, no. I'm just going to say no. To, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put myself out there and just say no to that. I say, yes, all sin is sin, and that all sin separates you from a holy God. Any sin, you are deserving. You're, you're born into sin and you immediately start sinning as soon as you're able to. And any sin separates you from a holy God who is just and righteous. That is true. And at the same time, not all sins are the same. There is a reason why when you hear some sins, you're like, well, that's not good. And others, when you hear about other sins, it'll make you throw up. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Now, as I say that, the problem when you say that is then people go, well, my sin's not that big of a deal. Now, your heart is a big deal before God. Don't, I'm not saying that as a, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, because some people take that and get and a cop out for all their things that they view as little sins. Well, any sin that's done with a willful intention of the heart of I'm going to do this and I'm just saying it's not a big deal is egregious. See, that's not a sin in the moment. That's, that becomes then premeditated. 
That's a premeditated sin against the holy God. So you don't get off the hook very easily by going, well, my sin's not that big of a deal, but I know it is, and I'm going to intentionally defy a holy God. That's egregious. That, gets, that, gets, that moves into the really bad category real quick. So we can't play games with that, and I'm not letting them off the hook easily, but what I'm, my, my argument here is simply that what Jonathan is doing, he feels it's the only, only way to get the real truth of the situation and that David's life is at stake. And so he's willing to take part in this deceit for the sake of, of David's life. Now you can argue, if you want, that he you know, should have figured out a different way to find the truth. You, you, if you want to be in that position, that's your, <laughs> that's your prerogative. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to, to sit there and say, well, Jonathan, you should have done it this way. I can imagine it was a pretty hard thing for him to do. I think we can at least all agree on that. That's a pretty hard thing for him to do because he does love and respect his father. And there's going to be consequence. Because, you see, his father sees through him in verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. Therefore we now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Man, there are so many things in those few verses Saul's anger toward his son because, again, Saul sees it as you've given up your rightful place. The thing he doesn't understand about his son is that his son knows that the Lord has already given his place to David. And he is fine with the Lord's decision on that. He's not upset about it. Saul wants Jonathan to be like he is. And to fight to hold on instead of giving it up, as he should have done. See, Jonathan has the courage to do what Saul did not have the courage to do, because Saul should have already abdicated the throne. And so, you know, again, Saul's character has been shown multiple times in 1 Samuel to be lacking, and at this point, you know, it's not his fault in his own eyes that his son is this way. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, it's your mother's fault. <laughs> now, we, sometimes we do this joking, right? Sometimes we look at one of our children and we look at our spouse and we go, you do see that's you, correct? You do see that's you. How many times... Has a husband done something and, and, and their wife looked at him and gone, so that's where they get it from. <laughs> so that's where they get it from. Right? I mean, that's an everyday occurrence. I mean, not necessarily every day in my home, just very frequently. <laughs> so, I'll say that, just very frequently. Get it from you. But, you know, the sort of language that is used here is, is really, you know, harsh and doesn't, res- you know, Saul is obviously not respecting, 
you know, his wife. And that's obviously a, a sad and a bad thing. But, you know, maybe I was just holding out a little hope. You know, maybe this would, would have fallen on Mother's Day. So you could say maybe Jonathan, some of his good character traits come from his mother because, you know, he's, we're certainly not finding too many in his father. So we'll just, you know, for Mother's Day, just keep that in mind. You know, just, just carry that on over for, for there. Um, you know, sometimes the, our preaching schedule and the calendars don't always um, match up too nicely. Sometimes we have to call an audible. Um, but hey, Mother's Day, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And so that, but we can work with that. There's at least something there to work with. But anyway. Um, and then Saul is as angry enough when Jonathan stands up. Jonathan stands up to his father and does the right thing. And Saul is angry enough to throw a, a spear at him. Because, you know, Saul has other sons. And maybe one of his other sons will fight to hold on, to, to fight for that throne. So I was take, he's going to take out the, the quote-unquote weak one himself. His perception of weak. Now, just again, for the record... We know Jonathan is not weak. We know Jonathan is a valiant warrior before God for his people. Obviously, Jonathan is, it says he's in fierce anger. But notice this, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. He was more angry that David had been dishonored than that his father had thrown a spear at him. Again, it shows you his care for and his love for David. Verse 35. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. So he said to the boy, Run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. When the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick. Do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master, but the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the manner. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, bring them into the city. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. And Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. And then he arose and departed, while Jonathan went into the city. A couple of things there. I mean, there's, um, again, there's, a, there's a, some foreshadowing with, with what happens Later on in the story, um, the Lord will be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. I, again, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad and beautiful scene. Um, this friendship, this friendship that's, that's stronger than, you know, than brothers um, that is brought about in their, their common heart um, for the things of the Lord, their common desire. Uh, for Israel, um, the the love and respect that they have uh, for each other is is really beautiful. It, you know, any any person to have a friendship, you know, that strong with anyone is a or anything close to that is a tremendous you know blessing. Um, you know, the reality of it is that friendships are hard and that friendships get tried. And that friendships are hard to maintain over time. Because we're human, because we're fallen, because we get our feelings hurt and we have our pride and you know, all these different things. To have a, a friendship like this is, is not something to take lightly. Um, and so we can learn from them on, on what it means to be a good friend and some of the sacrifice uh, that that takes. Um, now, we might not be put in these sort of situations, but again, every friendship certainly will be, be tested. And, and we just have to remember as well, the Lord loves 
the Lord loves unity, and the enemy loves to divide. You know, the, the Lord tells us how beautiful it is when, when, the, brothers, when the brethren, <laughs> brothers and sisters, dwell together in unity, and the enemy you know, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and seeks to divide people um, and, and seeks to harm families through division, through divorce, through separation, through um, being together but not really being together. Divides friendships, especially between brothers and sisters in the Lord, and to divide churches. And so we have to be aware of the enemy's schemes and to work hard you know, against that. Um, and to, to deal um, with situations that have to be dealt with. You know, they had to deal, Jonathan and David had to deal with a complicated and difficult situation, and they had, each had choices that they could have made that would have ruined their friendship. They each had opportunities to mess it up. But they handled things the right way. And so we're thankful. Um, we're thankful for that. You, you just, you, I pray for each of us in our, in our lives that we have friends that are like this, that really have a deep care and willing to sacrifice, um, sacrifice the easy in order to have this. It's been a lot easier for Jonathan not to have confronted his father, a lot easier for him not to get a spear thrown at him. But again, we go back to the reality that he was brave, um, that he was heroic. Just want to make a couple comments on that um, in closing, you know, and, and share. Hopefully, it ends um, just positively. But um, there's a couple of things that that I just wanted to to put out there. When we talk about being brave and, and heroic and how our, our world desperately needs more people who are brave and heroic. Um, so I, I went to university, I was at Wingate University right outside of Charlotte and UNC Charlotte, um, you know, was not too far away. And this last week we know, and um, if it's been said why, I have no idea why. Um, a gunman you know, went into a classroom and a student named Riley Howell um, instead of trying to run or hide when there really wasn't a place to run and hide anyway um, went and tackled the gunman in doing so he lost his own life um, but he saved the lives of many others one other innocent student was killed. Um, a few other, four others were wounded, but those numbers could have been very different. And I think likely would have been very different if that gunman had gone into any other classroom at UNC Charlotte other than the one he went into where Riley Howe was a student. His mother was a teacher. He wanted to be a fireman or to be in the military. He was part of the ROTC at UNC Charlotte. He was always the one looking to help others. His friend said, when you were around him, you felt safe. As far as Jesus, these are the type of children we need to raise, but also the type of people we need to be.
And it's not to speak poorly, but just to create a contrast. There was a number of years ago here where a um, female officer, she was off duty. She was just, she was in the Kroger at Alps Road. And um, there was someone with a knife and she you know, confronted him and she was stabbed. She survived, but she was stabbed numerous times. And I'll never forget reading one of the quotes from one of the college students that was in that Kroger that day, and that quote said, yeah, that was a really terrible thing to watch. It's a really terrible thing to watch. And just in a, on, a, on a human level, I, I think we just, you know, it, we understand the fear. We understand the fear that causes inaction. We, we, we understand the fear. We understand the natural, you know, instinct to survive ourselves and to not put ourselves in the place of, of danger. But I can tell you if Rowley Howell had been in that Kroger that day, that that wouldn't have gone down like that. That she wouldn't have been stabbed numerous times with nobody else in there helping. So we have to look in the mirror and just, you know, on a human level and say, am I a fight or flight? Am I willing to sacrifice myself to help others? What's our responsibility? But on, an, on another level, I also just have to encourage us on a spiritual level that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we do not live our, lo- our lives cowardly, in fear, hiding. We can't live our, way- our lives that way as followers of Jesus. We will regret it. Riley Howell's parents said they knew in that situation he would do what he did because if that situation happened and he had just tried to save himself, he wouldn't have been able to live with himself. You see, he had the character before the situation happened. So when the situation did happen, he didn't have to convince himself to do the right thing. He was already prepared to do the right thing. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to being bold, again, in love for truth, we have to have the character to be prepared to do the right thing so that we're, when we're in the situation when doing the right thing is difficult and doing the right thing is hard the decision has already been made we're not sitting out there weighing out all the consequences but we obey our Savior and King we do the right thing If Riley Howe had sat there to contemplate the consequences of his actions and to have a debate within himself over whether it was worth it or not, it would have been too late. See, he had already decided how he was going to live his life. He had already decided what his values were. And so my, my, my statement there is, if you're in a situation where sharing the gospel may cost you something, 
but you, you know what you, what you should do. It's better to have already counted the cost. You know, Jesus encourages that, right? He encourages us to count the cost because Jesus understands. Jesus understood when he was calling his disciples that that cost could be torture, that cost could be losing their physical lives, that cost could be being estranged from their families. He knew what that cost could be. And so he encouraged his disciples to count it. Count the cost. This week as well, we got news that... um, my cousin, Joy, she's been a missionary pilot in Brazil and Peru for over 20 years. Um, we found she had cancer. She's gonna, she had a surgery there. She's coming to the United States very soon um, for um, some further, further help with that. And, and we're hopeful and prayerful that you know, all of that turns out well. But she, she put a post um, that I just read last night that, that was really cool. She said, when I first started, well, she said this. She said um, some missionaries in Brazil told her that um, the church in the Bororo tribe um, was praying for her. And she said, you know, when, I, when she first started flying there, there were no followers of Jesus. And now there's a church praying for her. That's, and she's like, you know, tell me something cooler than that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of her, you know, how, how awesome that is. Um, and the reality is, I mean, she's doing a dangerous job flying into difficult places that most pilots don't have the skills to get in and out of. She's sacrificed. She's a, I call her Wonder Woman. She's a, she's a mechanic, a nurse, a pilot, and a mom of three. You know. <laughs> but... What she would tell you is she's just doing her job. She wouldn't tell you she's a hero. She'd just tell you she's doing her job because that's what the Lord asked her to do. another one for you from my friend in the Middle East and um, this is cool because this gives hope, great hope now these aren't obviously not real names just to protect people but Travis and Tammy are typically known as the most fearful believers in our group. For this reason, it came as a huge shock to learn that last week over dinner with extended family, Travis publicly announced his belief in Jesus. Though they were very angry, everyone kept their cool because Tammy is finally pregnant after years of infertility. The conversation ended when Tammy announced that she too believes in Jesus. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. That's hopeful. That's hopeful. Today in the mountains in Mexico, um, they're having celebrations of, of baptism. That doesn't happen without our brothers and sisters there being courageous 
and courageous all the time. For years, day after day. You know, in most of those villages, we can just walk right into today. That hasn't always been the case. People we know have had machetes pulled on them. Rocks have been thrown at trucks. People have been threatened. Hands around people's necks. Believers have suffered. New believers have suffered. Oftentimes even more than the missionaries. Historically, it has required great courage to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Certainly at the beginning, you had to be convinced it was real and believe it's so real to be willing to lose your life for it. If we have a faith that doesn't require any courage, that doesn't require any boldness, that doesn't require any risk, I'm just not sure we're talking about the same thing that Jesus was talking about. I want to balance it because I want to say we're thankful to have, you know, we understand just how really rare it is to have religious freedom. I mean, it's not common, folks. It's not common. It's not been historically common. We're like this unicorn. Really. Really. We can talk about all the unicorns, you know, and sometimes we get frustrated. That person thinks they're a unicorn. Listen, Church of the United States of America, for a good number of decades now, has been a unicorn. It's been rare and unusual, and perhaps the Lord gave us that for a period of time so that we would have the ability you know, to send out missionaries all over the world. Perhaps those times are um, coming to an end. Things do not stay static. Our world is dynamic. It's changing. And we have to be firm in our faith with the Lord Jesus Christ that we will stand firm. That even if it costs us, we are willing to pay a cost in our walk with Jesus. Riley Howe be laid to rest later today with full military honors. As it should be. When our days on this life are done, will we be buried worthy of honor, of respect? for how we've lived as followers of Jesus. Again, we don't do it ultimately for the world's respect, but we would hope that we would live and die in such a way that the church would be thankful, that the church would recognize. The church recognized Stephen's sacrifice and the sacrifice of many others. Not in the humanistic way, but in a God-honoring and God-glorifying way. 
because that really is the question. You know, how we've lived life, is there a reason when we die for other people to give God glory? You know what Jesus says in Matthew 5, let them see your good works. You might glorify your Father in heaven. Again, not so you're glorified. That's not the point. But so that your Father in heaven is glorified. That we would hear the words when we pass to the other side. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's live our lives in such a way. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we're humbled and thankful for the great sacrifices that we bear witness to. For the sacrifice of, that Jonathan made and so many other of your followers have made throughout history to do the right thing in the face of adversity. Lord, help us to just be people who do the right thing, period. Help us not to shrink back, but to be bold, to be courageous, and to live with a sacrificial love. In your name, Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, We take it in your name and we give you thanks for your ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.